another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. We were just talking about drinks, and now I'm really thirsty. And I mean, like, thirsty for drunkenness and thirsty, just thirsty. Also joining me is toilet wine creator, Eric <laughs> Van Allen. Look, you know, something... dignified. Something's got to take the pain off the side of the aircraft carriers, all right? I just, I provide a service. I provide a good. Yes, and I think that we should go ahead with the new Patreon tier in which we introduce uh, the ability for people to send me alcohol, whereupon I will drink it on camera and rant about various RPGs. Mm. This is my new business model, so let's <laughs> this go. Is new, this is my new job. <laughs> Look, I don't want now. money. I just want the booze, and then we'll be good. But speaking of booze, um, the Nintendo Direct happened this week. It's a little bit of a non sequitur. And we got lots of RPG news to discuss, including the return of Etrian Odyssey and Batten Kaitos, plus a new Tears of the Kingdom trailer. So plenty to cover in this week's episode. Let's go. But First, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on the podcast of your choice. And you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford and Eric is at Seamusi, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where we have tons of bonus content and lots of cool activities. Uh, apparently, Eric and Nadia and Victor recorded a very spicy Charlene dropouts recently. Mm-hmm. It wasn't it wasn't spicy so much as it was uh, disturbing. Yeah, yeah, I believe the correct Spicy term is disturbing. like grounds for indictment. Uh, that I would are be... sick, just sick. Yeah, yeah. If you're a, a third grader and need that help with your it, words, yeah. It it went places. Our our episode, uh, which Vic came up with the episode, was uh, we each brought three of our favorite hotties from Final Fantasy XIV uh, to present to the class, and then we ranked them. Uh, and let me tell you, uh, if you think you know which characters are going to show up on that list, no, you don't. No, you do not. <laughs> not to spoil anything, but uh, the usual suspects are not there. Uh, and yes, it's it, it goes places. Yeah. Incriminating. Mm-hmm. We are in the midst of a Pantheon monthly game club for Lunar the Silver Star Story, which is happening over on the Discord. We're in the middle of Winter of Wick. This month is going to be John Wick 3. And there's lots of other content as well. Plus, we do a live show every single week on Saturdays lately. And joining us this week are Beware the Slimes, Brian C. Nerd, Drew RWX, Kal-El, Not Hollow, Robo Riley, Ruka, Sardin, Supermoop, and the Black Stones. It's been a very lively morning, and I've been really enjoying it. Thanks, y'all for your generous support. Okay, it's time now to talk about what we have been playing, our sacrifices to the Blood God. And Eric, it looks like you've been playing the Sea of Stars demo. Is it good? Should I check it out? I like poked around a little bit of it last night. I didn't get very deep into it. Uh, I will say two things about it so far uh, out of the like 20 to 30 minutes I spent playing it. Uh, it is absolutely gorgeous, just beautiful, beautiful. If you think like, you know, the trailers have been doing it justice, that is like they've been good. But I think seeing it in motion is definitely something else. And number two, 
boy, they don't tell you anything in that demo. They really just <laughs> say, play the video game. Like you just picked it up off the street and, and loaded up somebody's save file. And I was sitting there going, wait, so you're not going to tell me how the systems work. You're not going to tell me what any of this does. And they're like, nah, figure it out. You got it. And that was kind of a weird situation for me. I think it's a very, at least at the beginning, odd paced demo and i know it's not supposed to be one of those demos uh, for i have not played it yet but the octopath traveler 2 demo from what i understand is just a time demo where you start the game up and you get to play like nine hours or something like that you get to play like a, a certain amount of that game and then you can carry save progress over sea of stars is not that it is yeah. like a sliced out demo uh and so eh, take it or leave it but i will say uh from what i've played so far uh, it looks gorgeous. The vibes seem pretty all right. It had a few good jokes early on about a dude suddenly being way better at arm wrestling than you think he's going to be. It, it was it was all right. I'm just kind of. I, I'm almost wondering if I'm going to go back to it because I think a demo does make a big first impression. And this felt very I, I, I was immediately like, this is not how I want to engage with this game. Right. First yeah. off, I think I prefer the demos that start with the intro of the game and let you carry save progress over. Is it me or has Chained Echoes taken a lot of the wind out of Sea of Stars? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. It's um, like, cool, I played Chained Echoes. Uh, <laughs> the the other game that's vaguely like Chrono Trigger. It's totally different setting, though. Like, I like the fantasy setting of Sea of Stars. And, of course, the soundtrack sure. going to totally rump, uh, rip. And hey, oh, only yeah, one of them yeah. has a Mitsuda soundtrack, right? Exactly. Hmm. Mm. But Chained Echoes is real good. It's real, real good. It's also going to be a mm. long time before Sea of Stars comes out, which is why I was surprised they even gave us a demo at this point. Yeah, yeah. August, not to get ahead of ourselves in the news or anything, but August uh, 29th, I think, was the release date for that. And oof, that is a long ways off. Like a exactly. long, long. That was probably one of the furthest out release dates we got from that Nintendo It was. Direct. They said uh, first half of the year and that. Yeah, that's, that's a generous definition. Stars. First half, I think that's really stretching. That's a stretching expiry date. How about you, Nadia? Uh, I am still really going hard on Fire Emblem Echoes, which is a great game, but also very slow, which is why I'm still kind of playing it. Uh, I don't know if you remember, Eric, but we talked about or you talked about uh, a S ranking certain beards, quote unquote, in the game. I think I met mm -hmm. one of those mm -hmm. beards yesterday. Uh, mm -hmm. White beard. White beard. I mean, I'll just say, is it Lyndon? No. Oh, no. okay. Because he's like, uh, he's definitely a dad. And when you meet him, he's like, I don't care if I die because my son's dead anyway. Yay. So you're like, okay, mm. I guess I got to talk to that dude okay. and recruit so him. So Joel Miller type. Okay. Oh, extreme. Well, a little bit older than, well, very white, very silver foxy, white mm. fox, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, great game. Really having a good time with it. It. It's funny. The story is not like deep at all. It's very basic good versus evil versus, oh, here's a twist. Maybe you weren't predicting, but it's so like charmingly Saturday morning and still exciting that I can really jive with it. It's definitely like reminds me of like getting those those first stories in the early Fire Emblem games like uh, Binding Blade and whatnot. I have no problems with that. And the story, the character interactions are pretty funny. Some of the uh, some of the support conversations are surprisingly touching. So, yeah good stuff playing that still kind of working on pocket card jockey and uh bob's your uncle as they say mm -hmm. i did a tweet 
about uh, Fire Emblem Engage the other day. Um, and that tweet was, the more I play Fire Emblem Engage, the more I think this game is criminally underrated. It is beautiful. It is tactically very satisfying. It is, yeah. Really, really good. <clears throat> I really love how much the emblem rings add to this experience. I think that the... I think that there's fan service, but it's not overbearing fan service. Like oh, it sure, stands yeah. on its own without allowing, you know, Marth and all of them to completely take over the experience, which I appreciate. And it yeah, feels yeah. very fully, very fleshed out. I, I like the castle, actually, mm -hmm. that you can run around and you can adopt pets and have and support everybody changes conversations. their clothes. I love that. Mm -hmm, Everyone changes mm -hmm. their clothes to hang out. And like you have, a, I have a swimming pool now, and it's like I'm going to make the old man swim, so I do, and it's mm, great. Mm, powerful. Yeah. I think a lesser <laughs> game would have just made all of that menus. So the right. fact that they went and took the time to model out not only the battlefields to run around after you finish them, I like but, that. Yeah, yeah, but the castle itself, mm. very cool. I've been enjoying doing the paralogs. The maps all feel distinct in a way that mm -hmm. um, Three yes. Houses did not. Yeah, it's really good. I'm super vibing with this game. I uh, like. I'll put on Better Call Saul and play this. It's the perfect yeah. cat game because I'm not paying mm. too much attention to the story. Story is yeah. very whatever. Yeah, I don't necessarily need the music, though. The music is good when I want to hear it. It's good, mm. yeah, but I can mm -hmm. turn it off. It's not a big yeah. sacrifice. Uh, how far are you? Oh, like chapter seven or something. I'm doing all the paralogs on the side as well. So. Mm. Because they're pretty early. early. I just recruited Anne. Oh, um, that's great. I have four emblem rings at the moment. I, I'm like moving them around. I decided to move um, Sigurd's ring, the, which is the horse, mm -hmm. over yeah. to um, my Pegasus rider just to give her give it a try. And actually, mm. I'm really happy with how that's been working so far. Um, I also got Micaiah. I can never remember her. Micaiah, yeah. Yeah, Micaiah. from Radiant Dawn. Yeah, from Radiant Dawn. I, I like her a lot. She's actually one of my faves. Mm -hmm. She was one She's of my a great one for a thief. in Fire Emblem yeah. Heroes. I put a I put an owl on her head in Fire Emblem Heroes. <laughs> That's how you know you love your characters when they have the special glamour. One good thing about this game, and I would definitely recommend it, is just take the time to do some of the, the bonding conversations. I mean, you have to anyway, because it's yeah. what kind of makes things more powerful. But they're very short and to the point and very you know cute or funny, sometimes stupid, because what are you going to do? That happens. But yeah. Mm -hmm. I definitely recommend it. I find like, even though I'm not a tactics person, I'm really impressed by these maps and how engaging they are. Like later on, yeah. like, you will, you will get some really difficult maps that you have to think your way out of. And I was surprised by how engaged I was uh, with, with those. Um, Eric, did you, sorry, Kat, did you lower the difficulty? Cause you complained that there was like some bullet sponge stuff going on there. I push, I pushed through and I think ultimately hard was the right difficulty to be at because um now that my characters are more powerful i feel like i can and i understand the game better now i understand what the individual ab abilities are all about and when to pop um the the engage the mm. engage mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah it's always fun um to pop and engage and like actually do a lot of damage and that kind of thing um is, my party is coming together because initially you start out with some rando characters and yeah. you're kind of going, okay. Whatever. Oh God, kids. Uh, these kids who are following me around. 
<laughs> and the old guy on the horseback. Clan um, is a pretty ferocious uh, magic user, though. Don't don't ditch him. You can ditch the, the girl. I ditched her. It's funny. I kept the girl and gave her the. Uh, I kept the girl and gave her Micaiah's um, thingy um, because she's a pretty de- she's a pretty solid healer and she can do martial arts. So yeah. Like my again, my one problem with engage and what I'm hoping gets better as I go in is that it feels like they give you characters and then immediately replace them pretty fast. Like you get healer girl caster boy at the beginning and within the next few maps, you get another healer and another that does caster settle down. But, but the party like the party size you can work with is very cramped. Like you, you get maybe like nine units, eight units, something like that. So like. Yeah, yeah, Sarden. It's a good point that like I do feel like this game was built with the idea that you would be playing an Iron Man, like you know, letting units die potentially, and so they want to like let you maybe backfill or or class characters into other things using the engage rings. But um, I don't play that way. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, so, don't play that. Um, well, three houses starts you out with that class and then if you lose people you lose people and you have to try and recruit them from other classes and i think that was an interesting way of handling that whereas this is more classic fire emblem but um i'm not saying other ones better or worse but i think if you are playing like a casual mode or you're you know resetting and trying not to let anyone die you're actually like maybe getting to the point where you have too many characters um uh, if if all crest dies permadeath like i will have to go to therapy i will not recover mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah Yunaka does not die in my run i'm playing on casual and uh i think i lose characters every single map <laughs> i'm just kind of burning through i'm like whatever uh and i'm honestly picking characters based on whether or not i like their designs same are you cool if i don't like, like their design <laughs> i won't use them <laughs> i agree i'm kind of bad that way yeah Fire Emblem Engage, really good. Check it out. I'm also really enjoying Hi-Fi Rush. I gotta uh, play that, yeah. Yeah, no, it's really, really good. Um, when I went away from it for a while, I was like, oh, maybe it's not as good as I thought. And then I went back to it. I was mm, like, no, mm-hmm. this is excellent. The presentation is tremendous. The The combat is pretty deep. It lists from a lot of other action games that is well-established. And I think that the rhythm game conceit is terrific. There's mm-hmm. there's sure. a lot to this game. It's definitely one of my favorite games of the year. A game that is probably destined not to be one of my favorite games, uh, the Wizard game. <laughs> the Wizard game. I, mm. I got a code for that. Um, I will play it because I am kind of loath to roundly condemn a game without actually seeing what it's all about and seeing it for myself. As expected, the discourse around it has been extremely exhausting <laughs> this mm. week. Oh, I, I felt terrible for you and Eric having to cover all this nonsense the whole yeah. week. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, thankfully, like, I didn't have to cover cover it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, not to talk shop, but like, there is a certain point where a game is so big that you can't ignore it. And I do think that I think that all art is due critique if it's trying to be uh, something like I do think there are pieces of work that do not deserve honest critique, but that's mostly if they're just trolling for attention or something like that. Anything else it is like I, I want to read people who who take that game 
and look at what it's doing and say, does it do it? Like, does it get there and put it and put it in context? Cause it deserves to be put in context. Every piece of art does the same way when we talk about modern warfare and we talk about battlefield hardline or things like that, like those works also deserve to be put in the context of the broader um, world that they are created in. That, that being said, like I think trying to shove your head in the sand and be like, just tell me about gameplay is, is really stupid. I can't imagine doing oh, for it. Sure. So, I mean, I think you need yeah. to take a holistic look at this game and properly contextualize it. I, I the game itself, uh, when I saw when I saw the the like the trailers and whatnot, my first thought was, I don't know, it kind of looks like your typical open world uh, yeah, collectathon kind yeah, of situation. That's what I was thinking looks attractive i suppose uh, the combat looks okay but i think that if i were not in the games media i wouldn't be playing this game i wouldn't have any interest in it um thankfully i got a code so i'm not putting any money in uh that woman's pocket <laughs> yeah joanne joanne's pocket joanne. who who sucks in minecraft let me just say that like here and now uh is is not a good person in minecraft and uh yeah yeah, fuck all that no, noise. For sure. And it just as someone who has said in the past, like, I'm just not a big Harry Potter fan. I see it from a very I think it's a very, very shallow franchise and it has mm. since gone on to prove itself a very shallow franchise. But you know, I still think, okay, well, this was fun about it, that was fun about it. Like, you know, I when I think I want an open Hogwarts game, I think sorry, open Hogwarts game. Hogwarts game? Hogworld, yeah. Hogworld, let's hogs. go. Hoggity hoggity <laughs> hogworld. Duty. Call of, call of hogs. But when I want something like that, it's like, okay, I picture myself like doing a magical cooking class or, you know, taming dragons in another class. When I was looking at gameplay footage of someone just riding a broom and it was such a weightless, boring, like looking mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. and boring ass looking broom. And it's like, oh, you know what? I could go play FF14 and fly on my griffin, you know, like mm. why? Why? It, one funny meme I'm seeing around because I like the funny dank memes is people saying that. Uh, what's the name of the academy in uh, uh, Elden Ring? Leia, Rhea, oh, Rhea, Rhea Lucario. Lucario. Yeah, forget that's Hogwarts. We're going to Rhea Lucaria. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. It's right? true. It's it actually like, it. Can I confess something here? I've been sure. thinking about playing Bloodborne recently. Ooh, play it, dude. Cool. So play it. Like, I did. I did play Bloodborne back when it came out, but I haven't played it since. And Bloodborne whips. I, I had that moment where I was like, I really want more Elden Ring, but I've killed everything in Elden Ring. <laughs> and so would I have to start over? And I was like, what if I just went what if and I played, played Bloodborne? Better no, I, oh. I, I still like Elden Ring best. but uh, I mean, they're both great. What, it's definitely the better Hogwarts. We can agree on that. Don't yeah, make me choose between my children. Let's um, do a monthly game club redux of Bloodborne. <laughs> sure. Nadia, I have a lot of history with Harry Potter. I used to be a mega fan of that yeah. series. Mm-hmm. And I have, when I uh, got out of college, my partner and I were, were traveling around Europe and reading it together. And, uh. you know, so I, I have a lot of affection for that world. I think that by the mid 2010s, I was definitely, I, I agree with you, actually. It started to, to really prove out how shallow mm-hmm. the world actually was. As we got into situations where it's like, oh, please don't tell me what the Japanese Wizard Academy is. This is just freaking embarrassing <laughs> at this point. And the Fantastic Beast movies were oh, God. <laughs> absolutely wretched. But I think the core of it, of friendship and, and inclusion and um, going to a freaking wizard school and there's a little bit of a whimsy to it. I like 
cute Harry Potter. I don't like dark and twisted Harry Potter. Yeah, I think actually like baby Daniel Radcliffe uh, Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. The the second it cute tries to get all like mature and grim dark, it's just oh god. I noticed problems so... by the fourth book. I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't uh, this isn't edited well, is it? No. Oh god, it was so long. It, it, yeah. Anyway, we want need to talk about the the book series in here much yeah. more, but like it's. I, I don't know. I'm not going to play it because it looks like an Ubisoft game and I don't really want to well, play an Ubisoft even, game right even now. Ubisoft gives you some <sighs> color. And, I don't begrudge and, anybody who doesn't play it. Um, it's causing a lot of discourse. I I think the worst thing about this game is uh, that transgender people are being hurt because of it. Mm-hmm. That really sucks. And I do actually hate that money is going into her pocket. So mm-hmm. I strongly encourage anybody to go and donate to Trans Lifeline, the Trevor Project. Go and support transgender youth. All of these mm-hmm. things are really great, and hopefully we can be more positive rather than focusing on the negativity around the game. That's that's my take on the Wizard game. And I, I think that, honestly, it looks so boring and dull that it will disappear from the discourse within a month. Like once the hype dies down around all this eh. nonsense. I, I I think that's wishful thinking, Nadia. I'm sorry. But I will say that we had a not too dissimilar incident to this last year with Saints Row, where all of a sudden Saints Row became this big cultural like battleground. Wait, where- really? Where oh yeah wow, I yeah, was not noticing that? this at all yeah so so there were people who were like we're not gonna buy Saints Row because it's woke now and then there uh-huh. was like a counter push where it was like no Saints Row is woke so we're going to buy it and support it and it, it this is the thing that happens with the media we consume nowadays pretty much where where it's like it's not about th- like the art anymore and i do mean like i'm not this is again not me saying like oh ignore the context no it's so far removed from the context because now every bad faith actor is hopping onto it because it's another talking point in whatever culture war soapbox that they can like yell about on you know a certain cable news broadcast that we are all thinking of right now (laughs) Um, yeah but saints row is not harry potter Harry Potter is a very large transmedia franchise. It's absolutely enormous. And Saints Row is a B-tier open world game. One was destined to disappear from the discourse. I would say C-tier open world game. But what I'm I'm saying is a lot of the bad faith actors who are just hopping on Hogwarts Legacy now to be like, oh, see, it's all about the game. The game's good. Screw you people who want to like support or not support uh bad people or whatever like like all the 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 culture war stuff that like swooped into this mm-hmm. is going to pick up and move town to the next game like like a circus like a carnival yeah. so like <laughs> just just wait knows. until like zelda like is a playable character in tears of the kingdom oh, that's and, gonna and explode some everything. dude on twitter is like oh the woke agenda strikes again like it's gonna happen over and over again because that's that is the focus and so like that carnival is gonna pick up and move town and i do think it will not it will not be completely gone but it won't be as bad as it's been this last week uh Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. at the end of the day like those people don't actually care about harry potter or hogwarts they just want the outrage so uh they're gonna move on to the next outrage that they can yell about and there's so. always outrage to yell about always. be assured if this game had come out eight years ago i wonder if i would have liked it 
I'm not sure, actually, because I like the conceit of actually being able to pick your house and all of that. But the all the goblin rebellion stuff and <laughs> the dark wizard I... stuff. Just talk about the Goblin Rebellion stuff from yeah, a no, I, yes. I'm glad that I, I want to hear your take on this. <laughs> okay, well, I have to say for the books, I'd never noticed any anti-Semitic tropes. To me, the goblins were more of a uh, Nordic goblin. In fact, uh, Canada has the Commonwealth um, covers of the Harry Potter books. And when you look at the back of, um, I think it's Order of the Phoenix, you see the a picture of the fountain they have in the Ministry of Magic. And that has a goblin on it because they're one of the races that can use magic. And it is like a, just a regular like Scandinavian goblin with a stupid toque. Like there's nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't even put two and two together. It's like goblins, banks, whatever. Goblins like treasure. I mean, yes, goblins can be an anti-Semitic trope, but they're not inherently anti-Semitic. That's a whole discussion on its own. So books, fine. I don't think J.K. Rowling is maliciously anti-Semitic. I think she says stupid things like a lot of people do, which are anti-Semitic, but like not maliciously so, like um, the whole Anthony Goldstein being the Jewish wizard at Hogwarts when someone asked her, is there any Jews at Hogwarts? Yeah, Anthony Goldstein. Like, oh, I bet he's a, of course he's a Ravenclaw. And I said, yeah, I bet he's a magical uh, freaking lawyer too once he graduates <laughs> alongside Harry the cop. Yeah, got but here's when things got kind of weird. I saw the movie and said, uh, well, yeah, I'm not so sure about that one, Optimus Prime. Mm-hmm. Just... Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't particularly like that. There was a star of David on the floor, which did not think things better, but that was actually a coincidence. It's just something that's on the, the floor of that building they filmed. Then like, hey, great. Did nobody put two and two together? Again, I feel people are more ignorant than actually like maliciously anti-Semitic. But then you have this game that doubles down. And when I heard about the guy in charge of the studio being kind of a right-wing Gerber Gator, I said, okay, you know what? That was very much on purpose because that is, we are at the stage where where Jew goblin discourse is kind of teetering on an edge. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. And here comes a game that says, hey, you know, it's great. Remember, like, how about goblins, which we all know might or might not be Jews. Why don't we make them steal kids and like do bad things that Jews were blamed for for many, many Mm -hmm. centuries? And it's like I could say, okay, again, this is a case of ignorance versus actual uh, malicious intent. But for me, that kind of thing is more malicious intent because we know the guy's history. And I'm not saying this is like, you know, reflecting on the actual staff of Port Key Games. I'm not saying that at all. But I do know the guy in charge of the project had some history. And just doubling down, instead of taking a more cautious approach, to me, that's a huge ass red flag. And yeah, so not great. Not great. People say, oh, you know, actually, it turns out blah, blah, blah in the story. It doesn't matter. It's just you thought about this and you went for it and it wasn't the greatest decision you ever made in your life. And I hope that clears up a few things. I want to know what the conversations are like in this, uh, within the development team, because I bet there was a, I bet it was uh, interesting <laughs> to say the least. I think that um, to Joanne's discredit, and I sure can give her discredit for many things. She never stepped up and said, Hey, this is stupid. What this Jews are not goblins. Um, you know, you're not being thoughtful. Stop it. She never did she, any of that. She just she was told too about, busy ranting online. She was too busy ranting. I think yeah. that in terms of people say, well, like the problem is this game is anti-Semitic and this game is, you know, the the um, studio is transphobic or whatever. And sorry, not the studio. Uh, Joanne is transphobic. But to me, the bigger issue right now is the trans people thing. Uh, I'm hmm. not trying to discount my own, you know, worries about anti-Semitism, but when you have her there very actively campaigning against trans people and just 
you know, there's people always say, oh, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Everything's problematic. That's absolutely true. You have to make. Yeah, but they're using it as an you... excuse is the exactly. thing. They're like, mm. oh, so exactly. I, yeah, no, no ethical consumption. I'm fine. I'm just going to give the money to this. This to me should be a clear cut case of do not give your money to this person who is very, very actively poisoning discourse to the point that it is affecting politics and putting people in danger. And please just stop. This is not black and white. This is sorry. This is not a gray area. This is actually black and white. Separating like art from the artist is something we talk about when that artist is already six feet under, you know, like that's something we talk about with like HP Lovecraft. Yeah. Uh, yeah and exactly. where, where we have to like reckon with the roots of something counterpoint or, or discuss Gaines author is still alive. Oh no. Yeah. No, that's what I'm talking about is like, you you discuss those sorts of things when you're talking about something in a historical context for the value of the text, but still trying to place it within the um, like it was an important text that was also made problematically or or made by someone who held problematic views. And you need to contextualize that in some way. That's not like the hand wave away to say like, oh, well, everything sucks. So I'll just do whatever yeah. like I if anything was a takeaway from Harry Potter, a series that I have severely soured on the more I've thought about it in the years since <laughs> um, it, the, the, the takeaway was like, do like fight for the things that are right to you, even if that means there is sacrifice involved. And um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I've definitely changed my views on this thing. Like you were talking about the goblins, even just the idea of, Oh, there's an uprising of the people that we enslave and yeah. that we should really go <laughs> put down. And don't worry, the house elves love being enslaved. It like it's good for them. They're really happy about yeah, it. Yeah, there's don't weird give problematic shit in the book. It's true. It's very clumsy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like Can I just I don't know. say all you wonderful allies out there, go support trans rights. Go and go and uh campaign against anti-trans legislation. And get off the internet. Stop discoursing about this game. Stop giving it oxygen. Seriously. This is like the most tiresome discourse that I've ever seen. Everybody has made their points at this moment. Let's move on for the love of God. Uh, <laughs> uh, the one thing that I want to note is the thing that it's interesting about this game to me is that it actually has a trans character. And oh, I spent a bunch a of time yeah. watching clips from it and learning it and talking about uh, talking to it about it with our reviewer and such. And I think the thing that I don't particularly like about this character is her story seems to be, while she's cool, I guess, um, there's a lot of pathos to her. And I don't, if there's one game that I don't necessarily want to do trans pathos it's freaking hogwarts legacy yeah that's uh it's mm. like put a character in here who's a kind of a sad trans person um maybe no maybe you're not the game to be actually tackling all of this and exactly I, can yeah. i just say that in a a, a a magical world where you have all the magic uh i don't know that a trans person would be just like well, there's nothing I can do about it. Sorry. I yeah, isn't like, didn't so many, this is what makes me so mad about her spoiling this franchise. I had so many people like come to it to find acceptance and, and get away from reality. Just like, oh my God, I can use magic like or polyjuice or whatever it was called to change my body. Poly that is potion. so, yeah. that's what well, I need. That's, well, that's what no, I want. Polyjuice potion works differently from that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> freaking doesn't it's just the, that's what makes me that you know no, no, polyjuice potion the, turns you into another person 
But still, it you're changing just your transform body. you. But you're changing and, and your also, body. And also, like polyjuice only lasts for a certain amount of time, and you need like hair yeah, like from hormones. somebody. It's it's <laughs> it's hair so it's so messy. And again, I cannot emphasize enough how like the combat in the game doesn't look fun, and that's because like magic and Harry so? Potter is I mean, just shooting guns I, at each other, shooting guns and doing the the dark souls. That's not true. Eric. It is. That, it is it's not how that's, many that was how many past spells... Hogwarts. That was past Harry Potter games. No, no. The combat even... in Harry Potter has never been good. This game actually. Look, I haven't played it, so I can't really particularly say, but like everything I've seen in the trailer suggests that it's a lot more than just shooting guns at each well, other. So so my 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 issue is uh, I can't believe I've been drawn into this. Um my issue is that in the game or in the book specifically, they're like, Oh, it's so hard to Wingardium Leviosa something and you have to like be a super high level power magic user to be able to like non-verbally use spells and to move people or objects and to like move them around really fast and so when you see like Dumbledore doing it you're like oh this dude's busted (laughs) and and then but but then I looked at like 30 seconds of combat from this thing and it's they they look like they're a force user they're just whipping stuff around the the battlefield and all that and you're supposed to be like a 16 year old wizard and it's granted that's harry potter harry potter as a character is oh i'm i'm an outcast i was under the stairs and then he gets like the biggest bank account and finds out he's good at everything he puts his mind to that's uh, not except for eric come on (laughs) he's not he's only good at freaking combat He's no, not the brains of the operation. He's man. also a magically incredibly good seeker. He's also really good at just about every so subject in school that isn't potions. Like he is he is the most like I have never worked hard for anything and have gotten everything handed to me but then jk is like oh but he like lived under the stairs for 10 years so really he's an outcast and i'm like no he's not he's got a bank account he's got dad's money okay admittedly i never mm. understood if i was supposed to like laugh at harry's abuse but anyway if i could say one more thing about the whole thing just <laughs> be a good mentor to people like yes. mm-hmm. i yes. don't expect anyone to be a perfect human being god knows i am not but just you know, if, if people look up to you, try not to disappoint them. I'll try not to disappoint all of you. I can't make any guarantees. But if you I become be a tr- billionaire, maybe don't tweet. Just that's, <laughs> no, that's my advice tweeting. to you. <laughs> I'm going to keep tweeting no matter don't what. Don't let down a whole, an entire generation and break exactly. tiny little heart. Aw, so many trans friends of mine had their hearts broken this week. I'm so mad. If I had that much money, I would never be on Twitter. Are you kidding me? Like, I'd I be would, like Anya. I wouldn't go I'd have anywhere a, near it. I'd have a castle with cats and that would be it i'm gone go go live in your castle lady honestly she's living her best life she's like she's a millionaire from her work like where's what's she doing these days she has a castle she has a bunch of cats cool best life right there when i make a million dollars when i make a billion dollars off acts of the blood god i'm going to my castle You'll never see me again. <laughs> I need I need to interject a uh, super boop in chat asking the the real questions. Where was Harry on January 6th? <laughs> Where was Harry Potter on January 6th? <laughs> All right. We've discoursed <laughs> enough about the wizard game. I promise I won't bring it up oh again. Oh my god. <laughs> and now it's time for a series of random encounters. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, 
you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Darkest Dungeon 2 has a release date. It will be out on May 8th. It's been in early access for a while now, so it's going to be interesting to see where that game ends up going. The Activision Blizzard case is heating up with Sony accusing Microsoft of obvious harassment. Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy 14 has more mod problems as a popular G-Shade tool has crashed and burned after malware was discovered inside it. Hoyoverse has opened pre-registration for Honkai Star Rail. Koei Tecmo has announced a, te- and a remake of Atelier Marie and Pokemon Scarlet and Violet reached 20.6 million units shipped. Very successful release for the Pokemon games despite all of its technical problems. But the big news from this week was the Nintendo Direct in which various remasters and shadow drops happened and we got a new tears of the kingdom remake or not remake trailer sorry so please don't let's remake talk this about, game already finally let's, <laughs> let's talk about some of the and big announcements that came out of this one and an immediate one that stands out to me is that after much speculation etrian odyssey is now on nintendo switch they figured out mm-hmm. how to make it happen how are we feeling nadia we are feeling very good about that. As I said on Twitter, I am going. I have already started my Olympic training for my personal sport, which is getting ripped and playing Etrian Odyssey and mm-hmm. uh, listening to Sisters of Mercy. So mm-hmm. I am ready to get back into that. I do have a question for you guys, though. I actually started with like four, five, and I think Nexus. So I haven't played one, two, and three. Do do I start with one or do I just go to two or three? Is there a big difference between them all? Usually, well, isn't. one and two are kind of fairly similar i think um with different classes and then three is it i believe that's the one that introduces water oh i might be wrong please please forgive me if i'm wrong i think that's the one with pirates um mm. i like etrian odyssey 5 myself because uh, that was five. kind of the yeah. all-encompassing etrian odyssey in a way i wish they would just put they had just put that one on there I do because wish we at least had like two collections, like one for the early games, one for the later games. So one, two, and three for eighty dollars on mm. the Nintendo Switch. That is a lot of money. I get it. They've like significantly enhanced the games. They spent a lot of time figuring out how to make the auto map work and such on Nintendo Switch, but boo. Yeah. And also, I mean the original Etrian Odyssey and Etrian Odyssey 2, like from a difficulty balancing standpoint, they're pretty hard. Right. Right. That's what I was worried about. Yeah. So especially two. Two's really hard. I don't know how I feel about the auto map stuff just because I feel like a large draw of Vetrian is drawing and and making the maps as you go. And it's a good quality of life feature, I guess, but there is a part of me that's like I think like the 
the goal of the game. Like, like if you take that part away, is Etrian Odyssey still yeah, like, engaging? Agree. That's what I'm curious to well, see it, is if you take that part away. The Persona Q games are like that. They auto map, but they also have Persona up yeah, the wazoo. To, so it's really fun to to be clear, as, as Aruka points out, like that is an option. That's a toggle. But uh, it's just something that I, I did think of. I was like, well, if you take that part out what is the appeal of Etrian because I do it, it is a dungeon crawler if you want to play a dungeon crawler it's a good dungeon crawler but uh I I was whenever I think of Etrian I think of like oh you make the maps that's like a big part of it is yeah. that's that's like a big draw of it so I was kind of like interesting but then again we just talked about Fire Emblem which is a series that took away one of its big draws which was permadeath and uh it's still going strong so yeah maybe maybe Another big announcement that happened was Bat and Kaito's One Plus Two HD, which include Bat and Kaito's Origins and the original. And this one, unlike Etrian Odyssey, which did get quality of life updates like auto map and difficulty options and such. Um, and also, if you're playing on PC, I, I, I might add the Etrian Odyssey HD collection, like most of our focus was on the Switch, but there's a PC version and that might be the one that might mm, be where you want to play. That's true. Yeah, mm. that's true. Because you can but actually use switch. it. It has like mouse integration and everything, like with the mapping and stuff. Ew. So. Not for this mm. controller, kid. Uh, <laughs> a mouse? Who wants to use ew. one of those? Why would I touch a mouse? That's not yes. But uh, Kaido's looks like a very straightforward port, unfortunately. So, I will say uh, yours truly did some digging on this. And the, the upgrades they're doing are... Like it seems like the game is largely the same. They're very adamant about like the content is the same. We are not adding anything. We're not removing anything. Uh, I believe it has the Japanese voices. I know that the dub in Baton Kaitos was a <laughs> controversial one, uh, but they also have some features like uh, turning encounters off, skipping cutscenes, and autosave, which all yeah. sound like just good modern quality of life options. So they they are. It's it's probably going to be largely the same game, but it's going to have a few things that'll probably make life a little easier to replay those now. Can I say I am kind of like I don't know why they have to delete the English track, but I am getting a little bit miffed with the idea of getting rid of old ass, you know, uh, voice acting. I'm not saying you have to, it has to be like default option. Obviously, you could have like you know have the Japanese voices, have the good English voices, have the terrible English voices. But it's like the way that Konami more or less has tried to erase what is a man with the always releasing the retranslated version of the game. And just uh, I, I know the person who did that translation. I like them very much. They're very good, very talented. But there's something so you can't deny <laughs> that Richter stood there at the foot of Dracula's throne and said all that shit. It's just not going away, Konami. I Speaking of Dracula, I really want to play that Dead Cells Castlevania DLC. Mm. Yeah, that looks mm. pretty cool. I might, I looks, might fall for that. It looks like it whips. Get it? Eh? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hopefully, it doesn't suck. Get it? I didn't uh-huh. play the original Dead Cells because the con- the character and the conceit was kind of eh to me. I didn't want to play as like a collection of weird cells or whatever. But, weird cells. But I'm cool to play as uh, Richter Be- Belmont. Let's go. Dead Cells was cool. I think it was one where like a lot of people got really into it and I didn't I, I put maybe like 20 hours in, whereas like Hades was the one that clicked. Hades was the one that me. really clicked with me. I want to Castlevania um, Hades, please. Oh, man, that'd be Ooh. so good. Can I give gifts to Alucard? Can I oh. give 
can I give him the the special god juice and he will give me his favor? Mm. Oh, that sounds now good. Now we're talking. Now we're come talking. On, come on, Konami. You've been getting your head out of your ass lately. You so and me, we're going to call up Super, uh, oh God, Super Giant after this and uh, just tell him they got to pivot Hades 2 to vampires. Speaking of vampires, I played, when I went to Pennsylvania last week, I spent basically the entire flight playing Vampire Survivors. Mm. As such, and an addictive game. Dangerous. That is a dangerous game. Oh. Holy cow. I managed you, to, I, I got to like level 60 or something. I was playing as the cleric and I was on level two and I got like to like level 60. Uh, I was just mowing down huge, oh, it's huge so fun. crowds. It's ridiculous how fun that game is. And you look at it the first time, you're like, this looks like a DigiPen like first student year game. Like, uh, how yeah. did this That's be why so it's popular? It's so like, good though. Oh, it's God, a brilliant everything's, conceit. Everything's going burr right now. Yeah. Uh, here's my here's my pitch, uh, vampire survivors, but put it in a shmup context. That, and... That's why I like it so much because it's so much like a shmup. Oh, I have a game for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty minutes to dawn, I think, is what it's called. Uh, is essentially that it is. What if it was Enter the Gungeon meets Vampire Survivors, and it's very very good. Awesome. Or uh, make the conceit that you have a capital ship. And enemies are coming at you, kind of like the Tie Fighters in the Millennium Falcon. And you're building with ships. Can you like fend them off and that kind of thing, and Mm. launch ships to like attack them? Okay, I need to make this game. This would be a Mm -hmm. lot of fun, Mm -hmm. actually. Please do, Mm -hmm. please do. It would be uh, FTL meets Vampire Survivors. There we go. Now we're talking, right? Yeah, I would play the hell out of that game. Shout out to friend of the podcast Rebecca Valentine, who was. Probably the biggest Bat and Kaidos fan I know. And was, was just laughing, crying, throwing up um, in reaction to it, to that announcement. I will say that it's great to have Bat and Kaidos on a modern console that is actually accessible because, to my knowledge, it was practically impossible to play if you didn't have a Nintendo Wii um, or, or playing it on PC, I guess, with emulation. Um, I hope that the actual collection is is good. Uh makes me kind of want to do a pantheon around them. I don't know if they would actually make it in mm, because right. it's hard to call them like particularly notable RPGs, much like Lunar of the Silver Star Story, but Wow, wow. <laughs> you can't you can't drive by the ground. Can't, say that. You can't do that a... this early. No. No. <laughs> That's a bad word, cat. Yeah. It's not notable. Come on. Um <laughs> but uh I I will at least give it a shot. Um I did not play Bat and Kaidos uh, originally on the GameCube. Oh, somebody just immediately somebody left. left. She's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. boom. And they were right to. They were right to. <laughs> did uh, did Cal L just say unsubscribe and then immediately leave? Hilarious. Hell yeah. Oh no, <laughs> came back. No, uh, I I did. I wanted to play Bat and Kaidos back in the day on the Nintendo GameCube, but I didn't have money back then because mm. I was mm-hmm. a college student. Yeah, same. and but it definitely stood out to me for its graphics. It was one of the better looking games. Great banger of a soundtrack. Uh, cool card based conceit that I think holds up um, in this day and age in the the era of Slay the Spire. Yeah, now, that's a game that we should analyze for the Pantheon. Slay the Spire. Hell oh, yeah. I'd do that in two seconds. Five. I'd do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know if you could call it an RPG, strictly speaking, but I do really dig that game. Uh, certainly it has had an impact 
Um, and it certainly had an impact on RPGs over the years. Um, uh, some more relevant announcements to our audience. Fire Emblem Engage is getting another wave of DLC, including Hector, Soren, Camilla, Crom plus Robin, and Veronica. I, uh, I, 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 I'm not going to spend money on the expansion pass, but I do really want to get Hector on my team. As, oh, and I saw Hector. I said, yeah, Hector and Veronica were the two. Cause like Hector, Hector's my boy. And mm-hmm. then Veronica is a really interesting pick that I want to see what they do with that. Like concept of having the fire emblem heroes character that could like summon other yeah, heroes yeah. <laughs> as an engage ring. Inception, what they do. Fire Emblem yeah. Edition. Everything divides yeah. by zero. It all crashes. Exactly. Switch blows up. And Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is getting more DLC, including a oh my God. challenge mode mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. story DLC in Wave 4 with an adult Rex and an adult Shulk. Yeah, yeah. yeah they got old Shulk, together. old Rex. Old Rex was upsetting to see. I did not, I did not like so, old Rex. You, did you finish the game? Did you ever see that ending? Eric. No, no, I, you I have I've, this. Oh, I'm so mad at you. I'm not you Blade Chronicles three yet. Look, it's just sitting there on the last boss battle, and I'm like, I could go do it right now, but I just, I got other stuff I'm doing. You know, I gotta take care at least of other. Put things. it on YouTube. Like, I, you got there's something you gotta see that I, that will put this all in context, and you're not cooperating. I, I am, Super moves like, like cat. It's a long game. He's on the last. I'm, I'm literally. I just have to beat the boss. I just have to beat the boss. That's it. Like I am literally as close to the end as you can be in that game. And yeah, yeah. Just do it, dude. <laughs> that was like me in Fallout Four, where I literally was sitting on the final quest forever. I was like, oh, I don't want to finish bad. the game. I'm enjoying it too much. <laughs> I kind of liked Fallout 4. It just gave me terrible motion sickness. I couldn't, no, I couldn't keep playing. No. Fallout 4 <laughs> is actually underrated. IMO. Mm-mm. I'm just, just, just going to leave that out Fallout there. Fallout 4 left an impression on me because when I started it, like within the first hour, I was in a rad storm. And that's like a real creepy ass thing to start a game to. Yeah. Fallout 4 was like, yo, we heard you like that plot line from Fallout 3, so we're just going to do that one again. <laughs> you were talking the about best that part of members. Fallout 4 is the robot detective. I love the robot detective. I He's agree. the best part. We were talking earlier about Fire Emblem Engage and how it doesn't have a great story, but we still really enjoy it. That's me and Fallout 4. Actually, I really loved the Fall Harbor DLC. It was outstanding. And I think I've I have said on this podcast in the past, that I am a huge fan of the uh, the the settlement system. Actually. Yes, I really enjoy. You never had a death claw in yours. No, I didn't. I, I love. You could do all kinds of crazy things. I I hope that they build on that conceit in uh, Starfield, and then we could uh, discourse about how Starfield's actually about colonialism. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, Xenoblade Chronicles Three. Um, Wow, more and more of that game is just kind of perpetually on my backlog, unfortunately. I would like to go back to it, but too many games, y'all, too many games to get into. So I'm dilid- this weirdly is becoming the year of the action game for me because I'm playing uh, Hi-Fi Rush and Crisis Core, which mm-hmm. is very action-y. And I kind of want to get Titanfall 2 off my backlog of all games. You haven't played Titanfall 2? No, why would I? It's a shooter. It's it is <laughs> no, why would I? maybe I one of the best FPS campaigns ever made. That's what I've heard. Straight up. We were talking it's, about it on I was on podcast unlocked earlier this week and I played the original Titanfall, but I didn't play two. 
And talking about Titanfall Legends getting canceled made me go, eh, I should play too. Like, I want to see what a truly great <sighs> FPS campaign looks like. Also has a it robot. Is- it is yeah, immaculate. Yes. It is. I, I promise you I'm not overselling it right now. It's so good. I have I have replayed that campaign almost once a year for the like since wow. it came out. And you it's really so love that good. game, huh? It's really, really good. There, uh, do you not remember when we did games of the decade and I was fighting to get oh, it in the top right. 10? That was a fun it, time. It yeah. is a top 10 game. It is a top 10 game of the last Is it better years. than Doom 2016? Yes. Really? Easily. Easily. Yeah. I want to play both. I, I think Doom 2016 is held in higher esteem. No, no, not by really? those who have played both. Because look, I I do okay. like Doom 2016, but like Titanfall 2 is. Here's the other thing: is it doesn't overstay its welcome, which I do think Doom 2016 does. I think Doom 2016 gets a little bit long in the tooth at the end, but like Titanfall 2 is just six to eight hours of pure concentrated fps campaign perfection it is so good and is so well paced it is sitting right there on my on my xbox so i'll play it at some point um more relevant news and this is a big one for me game boy and gba are Mm, on nintendo mm -hmm. switch online no rpgs to start but pokemon the card game golden sun and fire emblem gba are in the mm. so play blazing sword hell yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm, i don't know mm-hmm. i'm gonna get blazing sword i don't actually own the gba card for blazing sword you know what another game that i um ha- i'm gonna fire up on my switch i think it's somewhat rare so that's why i don't own the card for it oh. is minish cap that is a minish great cap. game I, such a good I job also again. i i will say now i wrote those notes and i messed up because i forgot that stoop uh superstar superstar saga <laughs> is in the initial rollout for gba so there is one rpg that oh, came out true. and it is yeah. the best rpg on game boy advance it's very uh, good. what <laughs> yeah okay superstar no, saga fire it's emblem, so good fire emblem blazing sword exists uh, I, and it's better I am than the Superstar Fire Saga. Emblem fan, and I'm telling you that Superstar Saga is better. It's so good. Okay. Mm. Now I'm going through the the list mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Uh, GBA RPGs. Okay. Uh-huh. Go for it. Go for it. You will bring Golden Sun to the Superstar Saga well, fight. Pokemon nah. Emerald is better <laughs> than Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Fire Emblem Blazing Sword is better than Mario and Luigi uh, Superstar mm-mm, Saga. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Um. Consider for a moment that Luigi can hop on top of Mario and then pull a hammer out and then they spin really fast and make a a hammer tornado and and hit people with it. It's honestly one of the most charming, basically Mario and Luigi is one of the most charming RPG series ever made. It adds a lot of character to uh, what otherwise like kind mm. of featureless characters. But uh, I find the original Superstar Saga has a lot of problems with the... the, Mm. um, Yeah, but not in America. Enemies are bullet sponges. (laughs) You can't say that. It yeah, exists. I can. Hey, hey, if Fights you want that argument to not hold up, go get Nintendo to put Mother 3 in out in America, and then I'll be wrong. And that's cool. Luigi and I'll takes benefit because I'll get Mother 3. <laughs> we all win. Hey, hey, hey. Um Mother 3 got an amazing fan translation and is very playable. So I suggest people go and check it out. I, this oh, yeah, sounds like yeah. a, a a pantheon in the making here, GBA RPGs. Mm, mm, yeah, mm-hmm. I would be into it. Um, but nobody would vote for Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga because who wants to play it? Um, I c- <laughs> my fans, my fans, my There brethren. are better Superstar Saga. Honestly, if you're going to play super, any sort of uh, 
Mario Luigi game, get Bowser's Inside Story. Get the really super neglected yeah. 3DS version that deserved so much it's better. It's not even the best game in its own series. Come on. What? Uh, speaking of bad I takes. Mean, Inside uh, Story Tom is Ori good, but it's... was arguing mm-hmm. that the original Game Boy had no good games on it. And Tom, I worked with you. You're great. You have bad t- taste in soccer teams supporting Tottenham. And dude, I can't I can't roll with you with the, the was Game Boy. It was always bad. This was our Tom, right? It's a bad uh, take. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. always had the greatest takes. All Just the stupidest, would worst, drive, amazing Tom takes. Tom Ori would troll the shit out of everybody at US uh-huh, Gamer uh-huh. with his yes. incredible takes. I Oof. thought he didn't like me, but no, he was just, you said no. He's no, just he just British. has bad takes. <laughs> uh, he's fun, though, yeah, once but you realize. No, I'm super happy to have Game Boy and GBA on the Switch. Um, I just wish that there were the interface were better. I wish that I could just go into one app and tab over Yeah, between mm-hmm. the different, because there's enough emulators now that it's actually getting kind of messy. And I don't think that the organization system on the Switch is particularly good. Uh, I I will say the emulation that Nintendo's doing on the Switch for the Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games is actually really, really good. Like there are some comparisons going up between kind of other emulation uh, solutions that we've had in the past versus what is on the Switch and the colors, the like contrast and the warmth of the colors, the saturation. It's really impressive how they're replicating what the like GBA would output. And, and what the Game Boy would output and what those colors should look like on the Switch screen. And it's very impressive. It's very, very cool. Indeed. And the more I play of the GBA, I, I play a lot of GBA on my analog pocket, actually. And the more I play of the GBA, the more I love it. It's an incredible little handheld. Absolutely wonderful. I used to think of it as mostly a port machine, but mm. there's so many delightful gems. Mm-hmm. on that system and i love the pixel art uh for the oh, gba those graphics so just absolutely pop and they look good on the nintendo switch too so D- did i tell y'all what i did with my game boy advance sp what did you do so i figured out a while ago i actually have it right here um that i bought an everdrive and one of the cool things that the game boy could do is if you knew how to do it you know it had the game boy advance tv and stuff like that Um, to where you could put videos on it. So I reverse engineered a way to put video files on here. And I have the end of Evangelion on my Game Boy Advance SP. (laughs) Oh, Uh, man. Fully, fully watchable. Um, Not a good thing to bust out. But man, it's it works and it's terrible. But that's why the Game Boy Advance is beautiful. That's just such a lost era of tech. Just like, mm-hmm. yeah, because they used to sell like Pokemon episodes on cartridges. It was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it looked like crap, but everyone was like, ooh, portable. So and then the iPhone came around and killed everything. So, yeah, if you tinker a bit, it's not going to look amazing, but you can absolutely get ridiculous things on there. And there's nothing funnier than being like, hey, check out what I've got on my Game Boy Advance. And it's the third impact from <laughs> End of Evangelion. <laughs> For more on the Game Boy and the GBA, go check out our console RPG quests for both consoles. We had a lot of fun with that one. And an underrated storyline throughout this Nintendo Direct is level five is back, question mark. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, mm -hmm. crazy. Level five, I think we all kind of forgot about level five because it disappeared 
for a large part of the Nintendo Switch era. Um, all of its franchises kind of fell apart in, in Azuma 11 and Yokai Watch and everything. And they, uh, I, I think they closed their American office. They did. And yeah. things like that. And this direct had a lot of, a lot of level five. They, they made Deco police. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a professor Layton sighting. Yeah, we uh, did. Yeah, we sure did. Uh, wow. Like it was just a tape, a trailer. Fantasy but... life too. Yeah. New fantasy, fantasy life. life. The girls uh-huh. did. It was great to see fantasy life back. That was always a parish game. Uh huh. Uh huh. I I'm really excited. I love Layton. Uh, so this is like really exciting just to see Layton back. I'm actually really, really interested in Deca Police. That was one that I went yeah. back after the direct ended and rewatched the trailer for. And it's like weirdly 50 percent. Like what if L.A. Noir took place in virtual Mega Man Battle Network Zootopia is kind of the vibe I got where you are this like cop who's investigating a virtual world, but you're also doing RPG stuff, but you're also doing detective investigating stuff. And all of that with like level five charm over the top of it sounds really, really, really good. And I'm kind of really interested in that game now. So like, hell yeah i love that level five is back and not just doing yokai watch you know i want level five you cowards you cowards to bring back professor layton's crazy ass son you just all yes. left me hanging with uh, what was it <laughs> mystery room or something like that uh mystery files i can't remember what it was called it was the mobile uh layton follow-up and he just has that oh wait alf- with the daughter no no not even with the daughter this was like a nobody knew about this game like it was um it was on the iOS exclusively. It was called like Professor. It was like called Mystery Room or something like that. And you find out that you're basically playing or helping uh, uh, Leighton's son, who's out of his mind, as it turns out. Like I don't want to spoil everything because actually it was a really good story. It ended on a huge mm-hmm, cliffhanger, mm-hmm. and God knows it's been like probably a decade since I heard anything about this game. But like Leighton, you have a you have a son who's psychotic. Maybe you should do. So. And that was the that was the 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 um what do you call it the the plot thread that was hanging Leighton was supposed to come over and like enter the game and they just kind of like dropped the whole thing i'm so mad about that uh my shouts to my sister who mostly just plays like league of legends sims animal crossing um very like mainstream games taste but absolutely loves the Leighton games i've not played all of them but i've borrowed them from her throughout the years and they are incredible. They're really, you, really good. To me, the very best one that cannot be beat was Unbound Future. Did you play that one? I don't think I played Unbound oh, Future. I know I've played. Play. I know I've played the first one, which is, and I know I've played the box one, like Pandora's box or Paradoxical box or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I think I played box, some I of Azrin Legacy was another one that I know I've played, but uh, they're just they're really cozy in a way but they have like good procedural crime like oh there's a greater mystery to solve but then you go and do a logic puzzle and you just kind of vibe with a logic puzzle for a little bit and hang out and and like solve some things and they have like really good hint system too and yeah i i love the latent games and and again level five is just a charming studio like even when i'm not wild about the games they make i love the visuals and the design of the games they make so I'm I'm happy to see him thriving. Couple of final items. Octopath Traveler 2 got a demo and so did Sea of Stars. We already mentioned mm-hmm. that. And the save progress carries over for Octopath Traveler 2. But the big one 
obviously was Tears of the Kingdom. We got a two-minute trailer for that one. A lot of people talking about its $70 price tag and going, is a Nintendo mm-hmm. Switch mm-hmm. worth Nintendo uh, $70? I want to get on my soapbox real quick and tell you, y'all, making video games is expensive. And we need to stop undervaluing the work and the labor that goes into these games. Yes, I understand that this piece of entertainment is extremely expensive, but it's also a premium freaking game and it will be awesome when it comes out. So if you can't afford $70, um, I heard Gamefly is actually pretty good. (laughs) That's a good way to play it. Switch vouchers. Yeah. Yeah. I understand like, not everybody can afford uh, 70 bucks. Uh, being a gamer is expensive. It's true. Yeah, it's but. kind of very, very... Uh, we, to me, the the conversation is so null and void because I'm Canadian. I've been paying stupid prices for games for so long. It's, well, it's another 10 bucks. Doesn't matter to me. And I, I do agree with you, Kat. Like, I, I do keep in mind people who cannot afford games. Yeah, I want games to be accessible. I want them to be affordable. But also, I want developers to get paid and unionize, I guess, at the end of the day, because I want to make sure that payment is actually going to the workers and not to uh, the CEO's pockets, which is unfortunately probably the case, but uh, hopefully that'll change someday. Yeah, gaming is an expensive hobby. I remember saving up just pennies and, and dollars for, for games when I was a kid and my brother stealing yeah. it for cigarettes, but I made it. That made games yeah. extra special. But thankfully, one thing I am very thankful for today in this in this age of uh, games everywhere is that sales are rampant and you don't yeah. pay most of the time if you're looking for an indie game or a smaller game you pay that smaller price versus when i was a kid uh you were shipping you were dealing out nearly like 100 bucks whether you played like you know super mario Bros. 3 or some crappy ass version of wheel of fortune that didn't work like mm-hmm. same price made no difference usually not a sale robo riley was that a mini pit or a pothole um <laughs> That's I a think pothole. that was a pothole. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't buy any. Anytime sure. I see the Game Tech logo, I have like PTSD. Yeah, I yeah. I just don't like seeing the work of uh, game development under undervalued, and I Absolutely. think that the economics of blockbuster game development haven't worked for a while, and there's been a real race to the bottom in terms of prices. And so, whenever price discourse comes up, I get a little annoyed. I think the only flip side to any of this is definitely for like you said people who maybe have trouble affording games already maybe have trouble putting together you know like like getting a game for their kids and stuff like that it would suck to be like the one kid on the block who can't get tears of the kingdom at launch because their family just can't afford it can't afford the extra money um that does suck i i I see many different sides to this issue and acknowledge that seventy dollars mm-hmm. is very pricey. It uh, is yeah. for a decent number of people, um, and I'm not going to say anything more on that. Let's talk about Tears of the Kingdom itself. Yeah. Um, we got a two minute trailer. We got to see. We, we got to hear Matt Mercer playing uh, Gandalf. Or so that Gandalf. was him. Yeah. Gandalf. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Give it to me. It, interesting yeah. choice. Rise, my. Eric, you're you're making noises. No, yeah. I was just saying, yeah. Like, so I've like started to teeter into the critical role. Stay like, out, dude. Watching Don't fall critical in. Don't role. do it. Don't I, do it. It was 
it was your fault. Okay, let's clear this up here and now. Okay, it was your fault, Kat, because we were getting ready. We're airing this out on the podcast. We were getting ready for the D&D pod that we did last year. Uh, and Naughty and I are sitting here like we've never played D&D before, and Kat was like, oh, go watch some D&D online to get a vibe. Go watch some Critical Role, and I started watching it, and I was like, you know what? This this is kind of all right. These people are fun. I'm having fun watching them. It's like a good time, and I've just been like on that precipice since where I, I it will be late at night, and I'm like playing a game where I just want something else on in the background, and I'll just put on Critical Role because it's good vibes. Everybody's just hanging out. I can't tell you the plot. I don't know half the plot, but now I'm starting to figure out what the plot was from all that stuff I've been hearing in the background, and it's good. It's good plot. It's a problem. It's a problem. <laughs> can't have this happen go listen i have go too watch, many hobbies uh, of vox machina yeah maybe, maybe that's what i need to do is just go watch the animated series instead of uh watching critical role but so crit yeah. role is a mainstay in my household and i am the only one <laughs> in my house who is not into it so mm-hmm. it's just on the tv all the damn time now so um but that's a great time for me to play fire emblem engage yeah uh, there you go very large mm. fandom. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people comparing Tears of the Kingdom to Banjo uh, Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. Yeah, but yeah, that's great. Finally, I love that they did that because that, I'm pretty sure that was born out of like all the crazy stuff people were making with the magnet rune, and like saying, "Look at look at Link zip across Hyrule on this box for like you know, and go directly to Ganon from the the Great Plateau." So I think I like that Nintendo seemingly took that like from fans and said, "Hey, let's let's really let them f around." My one of my favorite tweets, which, by the way, we should mention that during the Nintendo Direct Twitter was broken, which was oh, very was great. weird. Oh, my God. Uh, that was so annoying. But one of the better tweets I saw from that was Zelda being like, Link, we must lend our power. We must save Hyrule. What are you doing? And Link's like, yo, I got these sick hydraulics on my car. Look at this Zelda. It's just like bumping up and down. <laughs> they codified the weird vehicles from Breath of the Wild into actual mechanics. It's it's cool. I like it. There is a comic where like Zelda, you know, for based on the first game where Blink rescues Zelda and she says, uh, I've been waiting here for a hundred years, Link, but you went off and you apparently caught a big horse and named it Big Chungus while I'm here <laughs> suffering for hundred years. <laughs> Why did you do that, Link? Link's just sweating. I really enjoyed the trailer. I mean, Nintendo can do a good uh, Legend of Zelda trailer. I was getting goosebumps throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, Link looks damn cool. He does. This. He looks I'm pretty awesome. I'm curious to know about the the underworld and the Sky Kingdom. It's a decent amount of. Uh, there's a decent amount of naysaying actually about Tears of the Kingdom going in. People are the people dumb. who are like, yeah. I mean, it's not. It, there's just no way that it can match up to. No, Breath but of the you Wild. don't go to- It's more of the same. I've seen some wild takes that were like, they're just reusing the same map. And I'm like, yeah, that's why it's great. That's why it's really good. When was the last time we saw like Nintendo do this? Not just go back to a game, but go back to the world of the game. And it was it's like, like, what, like Link Between Worlds? Majora's Mask. And it was one of Majora's the best Mask, games dude, yeah. ever. Every like, time they've gone back to an original thing and like twisted it and reimagined it, it's been so good. Uh, a Zixa dragging up weapon breaking discourse. I look forward to an entire. It's good. Month it's I like good. how that. the master sword that they showed us at the end of that trailer was just broken. Like here you go, assholes. 
They broke the master sword. Everything. Uh, I have people yelling, "Weapon breakage ruins Breath of the Wild," and I have oh, never people stops. who are like, "Weapon breakage is Breath of the Wild. It's about a world in ruin. It's part of the themes." And I'm like, "Look, dude, I don't care. There are like a billion weapons in Breath of the Wild. It's fine. Eventually, get the master sword, and it stands up above them." I think, uh, chill out. Breath of the Wild's an incredible game. I honestly think it's, you're right. It was a great trailer. I'm looking forward to it. I like the, like what I was saying, I like it when Zelda takes like dark twists from their original assets. That always works out well. The story looks pretty mm-hmm. cool. Um, I like the, how, what I can gather is Ganon or Ganondorf is like, oh, oh, F you, Blood Moon forever. We conquer it's Dalamud. Dalamud. Dalamud is coming down. Dalamud's <laughs> land. Gather. Legend of Zelda, Realm Reborn. Let's go. See, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Is Ganon back? Ganondorf um, is that no, it's weird Ganondorf, old mummy is yeah. like terrifying, and that's I'm pretty sure that is Ganondorf. I feel like one of the other things that definitely bears mentioning is the cursed arm stuff, which is giving me major Princess Mononoke vibes. Like yeah. Link has been cursed in some way and is trying to like figure out how it connects to what is happening on the broader scale. But yeah, everything about it just seems weird and different and mysterious, and is. As much as I love Breath of the Wild 1 for having that like, oh, just go fight Ganon or figure out everything else. It feels like they're taking some really cool and interesting vibes, not just like Majora's Mask, but also Twilight Princess and some of like the places where Zelda has gone into not just dark fantasy, but like complicated, almost dreamlike fantasy, surreal fantasy. And Mm -hmm. I love that. I think that's such a cool way for this to go where you're not just doing dude riding around in a field on a horse with a sword and they are, are keeping yeah. a lot under wraps still i feel like which mm-hmm. i guess is by design i was complaining on twitter about how slow they're being but a friend of mine said well honestly like think about how many trailers dump everything at once in front of you zelda this is going to be like a very big game for nintendo oh they're taking their time with kind of giving you everything and that's not a bad thing in this day and age I like how little we have seen of this game so far. Yeah. I actually think that's a good thing. I, I so. want to be surprised, and I think I will be uh, surprised and delighted. Can't wait to play this game. And there's also a decent amount of discourse about whether the Switch is just too old at this point. No, it's not. And, uh, no, I don't think so. No, it I don't is. think so. It is. I mean, it is, but we can't change that. So like, exactly. we just got to make like, our peace with it. <laughs> it's very much at the... I think we've kind of forgotten how end of cycles used to feel like like back in the day when you got to the end of the nintendo's uh, life cycle by that point they were making some incredible looking games just like mm-hmm. really pushing the nes to its limits and i think this is going on with the switch because i mean fire Emblem engage is wonderful it runs wonderfully uh you have some amazing ports of games that have come out like near is apparently great 13 sentinels is apparently great i know, I know yeah, those are ports yeah. but there's still current gen games that you could play maybe not so much near but if you know if programmers, if they know what they're doing with the switch, they can make some pretty amazing things, but it takes a lot of effort. So I understand if maybe uh, they kind of do a little bit slipshod here and there. And that's when you get like problems. I, if anyone's going to make a game look good on the switch in 2023, it's Nintendo. So yeah, I'm not worried about that at all. I've, I've said tech no longer matters. It's all about the art direction. Exactly. And mm-hmm. the Nintendo switch, I think Nintendo fans will recall that it could always be so much worse like the wii u was so dead in 2016 the oh, gamecube was, just... was mm-hmm. deader than dead in 2005 the wii was deader than dead in 2011 
The PS4 yeah. managed to last like seven years. Uh, it was a workhorse. Yeah. Yeah. The the Switch, uh, it's based on decade old hardware, but the the mm-hmm. the games to my mind still look pretty good. You know, um, no, it can't play current, current, current gen games at this point. But I think Nintendo has done a good job of keeping up a pretty steady cadence yeah. of releases. And it being an indie workout course has really uh, exactly worked out to its benefit because the conceit of the actual console uh, still works out really well. Love my Steam Deck. It is a super premium hobbyist device whereas the nintendo switch is i think much more open to everybody i see kids it's, yeah it's very accessible. toting around the switch everywhere so yeah same you're not going to see kids with the steam deck which is fine like that's not why they built it they didn't build it for kids but people say oh the steam deck is a switch killer not necessarily but we did have an interesting conversation with robert boyd uh last uh week when you weren't here such a good Kat. conversation yeah and he was talking about how it's not just like well this will this run on the switch anymore it's also how will this run on Steam Deck? So indie developers mm-hmm. are definitely mm-hmm. getting the, the best mm-hmm. of both worlds. Yeah. Beware the Slimes was asking if I think Metroid Prime 4 will be punted to the Switch's successor. Um, I don't know. I don't think so. I think it'll come out next year on we the didn't Nintendo mention Switch. It. We didn't mention it during the Direct talk, but Metroid Prime Remastered did Shadow Drop during the Direct, and I did play some of that last night. It's supposed to be and great. If you want to be genuinely amazed at what a remaster can look like, that Metroid Prime remaster is real, real good. Like mm-hmm. legitimately, I had moments where I was like, I this is better than how I remember Metroid Prime looking. It's real good. Oh, yeah. It's I Nintendo weirdly undersold Metroid Prime being like, mm-hmm. it's a remaster. Mm-hmm. And I think hey, people just automatically yeah. assumed basic <laughs> HD remaster. Hell no. It's borderline a remake. Yeah, Nintendo underestimating Metroid. What, since, what since fits when? better together? Never. Yeah, they just dumped it out there, gave it no, no marketing whatsoever, and completely undersold it. That's kind Here's of disappointing. A actually, coming out soon, I guess. And we've known about this Metroid Prime for more than a year. We've known about it since like early 2022. Uh-huh. As far as it sounds like, it just been kind of sitting there. Oh, you they, know, they kept it dust. so they could take Jeff Grubb's hair. You know, that was important. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo wanted Jeff Grubb's hair. All right. That was Nintendo Direct. Interested for your thoughts on that one. We had plenty of discourse. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, and now it's time for the Pantheon of the Blood God revisit, the segment in which we revisit various games that we have added or didn't add to the Pantheon. 
this week we're doing System Shock 2, which we did back in 2021, and our guest was Jeff Green. And the reason that we picked System Shock 2 back in the day was that it tends to pop up on a lot of um, a, a lot of best of PC RPG um, mm-hmm. games. I don't think System Shock 2 is an RPG, my friends. <laughs> In hindsight. Yeah. I I think this one is where we might end up removing it on technical grounds. Because I do yeah. think System Shock is a great game. But much like Deus Ex, which is another one we'll probably get around to at some point. Uh, I don't know if it fits the definition cleanly enough for us to put it through. Yeah. It's a tremendous yeah. game for sure. Um, yeah. I'm looking for Len Hafer's definition of an RPG, which I think... Mm. Uh, we pinned it somewhere, right? <laughs> I thought yeah, we pinned well, it. Well, I pinned it. I, I took a picture. I took a screenshot and saved it. Okay, here we go. This is a key one for me. Mm-hmm. The emphasis and conflict resolution should be based on considerations other than pure player Twitch skills, such as creating an effective build, understanding party synergies, or exploiting enemy weaknesses. And I don't think System Shock 2 really does that. It's Yeah. It's uh its actual build system is quite quite basic. I mean, yes, you have character classes and such, but it is based heavily on Twitch skill. For sure. Like the through line for System Shock 2 is Bioshock. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say they're necessarily like Twitch twitched on the sense of like Call of Duty or anything like that, but it is a game where you will need some level of being able to put a crosshair on a head and and click heads, as they say in the Valorant community. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I don't think that can wholly discount in an RPG because there are plenty of action based RPGs or even, you know, strategy RPGs like Valkyria Chronicles is big about being able to put that crosshair on somebody, but you kind of get a leeway. The VAT system is a great example of Fallout making some concessions to maintain a level Mm -hmm. of RPG ness to the action. And I don't think System Shock is trying to do that. I think it still wants it to feel like an active involved thing and not necessarily like you are rolling dice so uh, yeah mass effect mass effect is a good example of the flip where they kept it very action heavy but still it's it's really still an rpg when you actually get into like the the bread and butter of how that the game meat of the game is based around the character building and the customization yeah and like your bullets do more or less damage based on your build especially the original mass effect was much more about um uh character builds than anything um mass effect 2 and 3 definitely got a lot twitchier i think um but you had so many interesting choices uh to make in those games that you can kind of allow it uh, give it some leeway but i don't know i think system shock 2 connects directly to ultima underworld uh which itself so it has rpg heritage uh, yeah for sure um as for the game itself, um, it's it's very good. I I enjoyed my time with it. <laughs> In the modern era, I'm kind of like, eh, whatever. I don't really want to play this anymore. <laughs> As, I, I remember Crazy Monkeys. Those were cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, it's got Shodan. 
Showdown's cool. Showdown's pretty awesome. Showdown's like yeah. a great RPG villain. Yeah. And can so, we play Valkyrie? As, no, I agree. Showdown's a phenomenal RPG villain. <laughs> but as for putting it in the pantheon, eh. Eh. Thoughts? Nadia? Shrug shrug emoji. Cloud shrug, shrug emoji. emoji. Yeah. Yeah. Rejected on technical grounds, probably. Rejected. We need to do a, a Blood God immersive sim like side thing where a we're like quest? the best immersive Blood God sims. side quest immersive sims. Yeah. Because then we can talk about Dishonored, which I think is one of the best immersive sims. So it reminds me a little bit of when people were like, actually, Disco Elysium is an adventure game, not an RPG. <laughs> Who talks like that? Uh, somebody was like that. Um, I'm yeah, not making yeah. fun of you too much. <laughs> the, the the game where you put like points into stats that then literally yeah. roll die to determine whether they proc or don't proc. <laughs> doesn't doesn't sound very authentic to me. Uh, so please look forward to our special in which we uh, go through our pantheons to date and decide which games get to stay and which games end up going. Sorry, System Shark 2. I think you're going to end up going. Mm-hmm. All right. That's it for the Pantheon of the Blood God revisit. Nadia, take us home. I thought I saw something, Eric, in the notes that I accidentally closed, but was we might have glossed over it. Was there a a uh, a music, or, sorry, a piece of game music that was like nominated for a Grammy or won a Grammy or something like that? <laughs> yes. So the Grammys held, I think it was their first ever award for uh, music in a video game. Uh, and whoever was presenting uh, had to say Assassin's Creed Valhalla and just oh. beefed it and was like Assassin's <laughs> Creed Valhalla. <laughs> you ever have that cold, terrible feeling in your chest like you're coming up on a word you have no idea how to pronounce but you're like barreling towards it like a freight train? <laughs> yes. I understand. Yeah. Uh, didn't though, like, okay, so this was specifically for a category, right? Because I know that uh, Baba, Baba Yetu, I think, from Civ Six, like that yeah, one Yeah, so, so Baba Yetu did win... For like, I think best like song in a soundtrack or something like that. It was yeah. weird, but this was uh, Grammy for game music. Valal, yeah, this was the first Grammy award for best score soundtrack in video game or interactive media. This is the first time that they've had that specific award, rather well, than I, like I don't a, know if I would elect Val La La La, but like. I at least appreciate that they're finally looking at this kind of thing because I was going to say my question slash memory slash hopefully not a pit to you is like, or all of you, like what's the first piece of video game music you can remember like moving you for, for me, I think it was super Mario brothers, believe it or not. Like not so much the, the overall theme. First of all, just the idea that there could be game music, like after Atari, it's like, holy crap. Like I had a Coleco vision game that had like the bond theme in it, but that would stop. And like I had a Rocky and they had the Rocky theme in it, but that would like stop after a few oh. seconds. So we're talking about like the first time like a song really like where, where it wasn't just like, oh, I love the Mario music, but like, no, where it's just uh, like, like a song actually like hit you. Yeah, because for me, like going back to Mario, it wasn't so much the Mario theme as it was the castle music, which is so mm. like atmospheric. Mm-hmm. I mean, Koji Kondo is a freaking genius. He doesn't get nearly enough credit for the work he's done in, in the industry. But yeah, that was that. And um, just, I think, 
I'm trying to remember the first piece of SNES music that really moved me because that was just like a that whole system was a revelation. So you think of something. <laughs> I'm, yeah, yeah. This is going to be another moment where Eric dates himself. Um, it, it would probably have to be because these were around the same time uh, that I played them would either be to Xanarkand from Final Fantasy uh, X. Yeah. Like the first time I heard that, I was just like, oh my God, this is like really hitting me. And it's got that whole intro cut scene where he's like standing, looking out over the ruins. He's like, listen to us, you know, listen to our story. This may be our last chance and all that. Very, very good. Uh, or dearly beloved, the menu music for Kingdom Hearts. Every time I hear it just takes me back to that moment. The first time I heard it mm-hmm. and it is because that's the thing is like the first time you hear it, you're like, oh, it's a really sweet melody. But then like, I don't know, you get further into that series and you invest more. It's like a good anime opening where like you hear it and it kind of just like puts you back where you've heard it for the first time. You're like the journey that we've had, yeah. the journey that we have felt. Uh, same thing with a lot of 14 music does that for me where I'm like, I can hear that music and feel the journey that that piece of media took. Um so yeah, those those would be my two and both like super soft piano songs, of course, but those are always the ones that hit you. So I'm the dork who used to record Metroid 2's music. Mm. Uh, I loved the credits music when you finish the game so much that I would record it onto a tape recorder and play it like I was actually listening to music. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did that too. Metroid 2's uh, soundtrack Wit, um, it's out on Game Boy now. Uh, it's yeah. one of the original releases on the Switch. Um, I think Metroid 2 tends to get a little bit of a short shrift because it's not as good as you know Super Metroid. It's probably one of the worst of the OG uh, Metroid games, but it is an amazing Game Boy game. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Queen Metroid is... The, the battle with the Queen Metroid, the music there is terrific. It's so atmospheric, especially as you go deeper and deeper um, yeah. into SR388. It did an incredible job of creating a spooky atmosphere in that game. Um, another one is, you're going to make fun of me. I uh, I used to just turn on Tech Mobile and <laughs> flip the Tech Mobile had great music, honestly. So let, just mu- let that hard. music go. Yeah. Because I loved that that menu theme so much mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> i did that with we had game boy techno ball for some reason i think my brother had it and i remember it had like a great title screen thing it was fantastic <laughs> do 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 yeah do, do. yeah mm-hmm. uh, so the, the little bells and the the little beeps and the boops um and i loved the og original nes legend of zelda title music um that's so it was so well done for its time like the kind of the gentle sort of they're trying to emulate kind of a flute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you would be playing, but when it, if you left the title screen going and then it started rolling yes. through the, the story and then all of the enemies and the items and everything, um, very simple, simple beats, but be rolling. Really added to the fantasy quest elements. Like you actually, like you looked at what we were going to find and what we were supposed to look for. And you heard that music like, wow, I am on an adventure. Like this is actually legit. I, yeah. I have two to append here. Number one, which I think Kat will also appreciate, Chat has pointed out, Hell March. Command oh, Hell March. Oh, yeah. Hell March. Classic. But number two, one you just reminded me of, Kat, Link's Awakening, when you play the song in front of the Windfish. 
Mm -hmm. Um, like you have spent the entire game getting the instruments and hearing each little jingle as they come along and and hearing each part and when you finally bring all the instruments together and crack the the windfish egg and and Mm -hmm. go inside it's oh my god that link's awakening is a all-time game it is so good best game boy game imo Um, it's oh Big goosebumps mm. whenever when that music plays for sure, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I definitely cried at the end. Um, oh yeah, I it's heard that so in beautiful. orchestra, and I cried at the end. Is it possible Link's Awakening is underrated? I, I, I it is, it is for me. It's like a top five Zelda game. It's uh, one of my for favorites sure. for sure. It's probably in my top three. I think like Link's Awakening, Breath of the Wild, and Link Between Worlds are probably my top three. What's really funny for me is that. Uh, Stormblood is not my favorite FF14 expansion at all, but it is the one mm. that gives me the the hardest feelings because yes. I played it during yeah. shut uh, during lockdown, and mm-hmm. so I was going through the Stormblood expansion. So when I hear the music for the fringes, like especially at night, it just gives me shivers. Like I'm right back where I was. It's really uncanny. Endwalker too. I mean. Endwalker obviously brings in a lot of themes from throughout both Final Fantasy and 14 specifically. But when you know, like the history of when Sokin was writing that music and, yeah. and where he was writing them, he was in the hospital at the time. Um, yeah, he had cancer, and, I think. Yeah. And uh, it's just that music just hits so hard and all the different versions they do of songs. I can't listen to flow because flow will like destroy me emotionally. If I sit down and listen to flow, I have to like, I, I have to be in, in the right mind space for it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, final fantasy has always been good about its music, but uh, it's when you actually go back through the history and look at all the different final fantasies, they all have such good soundtracks. It's ridiculous. There's also, um, Echoes in the Distance, which is the song that plays when you first land in the last map of uh, Endwalker. Oh. When I when I need to cry, when I'm emotionally constipated, I just put on that song. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I just remember where I was at the time and what oh. I was doing and just remembering the story, which is just devastating. Like it's but mm. so like in that such whole, a nice way. That, that whole area is emotionally devastating. It is just like one they took one of my favorite moments from Shadowbringers, like my favorite line from Shadowbringers, and turned that into an entire area. And it's just, oh, we need to like spoiler chat at some time. We really do. Snake Eater. Snake oh, Snake Eater is perfect. All of Snake Eater, though, not just the main theme, but like that entire. I was thinking about this in terms of Metroid Prime because I was like, what's another game that feels so like singular as mm-hmm. Metroid Prime does? And I think Snake Eater. As much as I like other Metal Gear Solid games, Snake Eater specifically is such a good just game. Like you just buy it, you play it, you could just play it over and over and over again. It's, it's a so karaoke song too. Oh yeah. <laughs> Remember when we went to karaoke and we had Life is uh, Life Will Change? Life Will Change, yeah. yeah. We were like, what? Yeah. We don't have Rush, we don't have Sisters of Mercy, but we have Life Will Change. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which I mm-hmm. can't sing because it's way too high. Nice to have a proper nook rather than a pit. I feel I know, very right? warm and wholesome thinking about Tecmo Bowl on my NES back in the day. But that's it for this week's episode of Axial Blood God, an eventful one full of discourse. And I appreciate all of you. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I've been your host, Cat Bailey. And you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. And Eric is at C-W-Z-S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. You can also follow us on Patreon, Patreon dot com slash blood god pod for tons of bonus content including a live show and the post show 
that we are about to head into Blood God after dark. As always, thanks to our stars of destiny. We had a great crowd today. Very lively mm-hmm. chat. Yeah. Yeah. Very enjoyable. Great stuff. And we'll be chatting with them even more in just a hot second. But until then, for Nadia, Eric, myself, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.